This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. On this week's Intego Mac Podcast, we discuss mobile phones for children and how to keep them safe, secure, and private. And we talk about Apple's new App Privacy Report, which tells you how apps are accessing and using your data. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm fine. I'm taking this week off. I'm not here. Through the magic of radio, we've recorded this episode in advance because I wanted to take the week before Christmas off, as did you. I hope you're enjoying your week off as much as I am. I'm sure that I am. I hope so. If we had time travel, you would know that you were or not. That's right. Yeah. Of course, um, time travel might be a, l- a little bit out there. It's it, it didn't quite happen by 2015 like we thought, you know, with uh, Back to the Future 2 and so forth. But, you know, it's maybe a few years down the road. Okay. We've got an interesting story that I spotted in The Guardian last week. And it, it seems pretty banal, but when you get into it, you realize that this has implications for computer security. So some four-year-old child in Sydney, Australia, ordered $1,139, that's Australian dollars, of gelato and had it delivered to his father's work. Apparently, the father had given the son his phone to keep him distracted while his sister's touch football match was happening. And, well, the kid, four years old, what's he going to do? He's going to tap on everything. He's going to push buttons. Ooh, that's a pretty picture. I like that. I'm going to press again and again and again. And he ordered $1,139 of gelato and cakes from Gelato Messina on Uber Eats. So Uber Eats app was on the phone. It doesn't say if it's an iPhone or an Android phone, but that doesn't matter. And the fact that, I mean, there are a number of issues here. Like, is it possible with Uber Eats that you can just order something without having to put in a password, your passcode or anything like that? What's the risk of giving your child a device, a young child particularly, who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't really realize the extent of what may happen? So we thought we'd discuss this because... You kind of have two choices. You get a separate device for a young child or you harden your device so they can't do anything. Right. Um, and certainly the the preferable thing to do, if if you can afford it, is to get um, another device for, for the child. If, if you have your own child and you're frequently giving your device, your phone over to your child, um, it, it's, there's probably a case to be made that it's, it's a good idea to get a separate device. Um, if, if for no other reason, then it's more convenient for you to not have to give up your phone all the time. Right. Um, uh, of course, you know, there, there's also arguments to be made that, well, um, maybe you shouldn't be putting your kid in front of a device for a lot of the, the day. But, you know, that, that's that's a whole separate issue. So we're not going to talk about that aspect of it today. Right. We're, we're talking more about the security issue and eventually the privacy issue, because I'm going to tell you, my partner does this sometimes with her grandchildren. One of them is two years old and one of them is six. And I keep telling her, don't give them this. They could tap on the mail app and send email and forward email. And they could go into the web browser and Amazon and buy things. And it just, it annoys me. 
She doesn't listen to the podcast, but I'll make sure she knows that I've said this again. Yeah, it it's definitely one of those things that like you, I, I'm the kind of person who absolutely would not just hand my device to a child. And occasionally um, my wife does this, you know, it, we, we do have a separate device for our youngest. And um, and it, it's just something that I got, you know really cheap on on ebay uh it's a used device i wiped it it's got the latest operating system on it and we only have the apps on it that uh, make sense for that child to use um it it doesn't it's not part of our our uh our telephone plan so we're not we're not paying any sort of monthly fees for it or anything like that it's just a cheap device that um when when we need it, we can hand to to the child. Right. So um, that's how we've chosen to handle this. And I think that's really the best approach. But Joshua, you have told me when we were doing our Black Friday episode recently that you shouldn't use an old device that might not be upgradable to the latest operating system. Now, in your case, you told me you have an iPhone 7. I think you bought it used a year ago on eBay, whatever. Yeah. But you don't want to keep around an old device just in case there are vulnerabilities. Yes. Okay. So there's a couple of important points here. So one is that... um, uh, first of all, this is not on a cellular network um, and it's not being used for any kind of web browsing or things like that. Um, where so and it's also not being used for text messaging. So it's not being used for any of those things where there are common entry points, I guess, for uh, an infection or something to get onto the device. Um also, the the app store is is locked down so that, um, you know, a, a child using the device cannot just go and download any app. Um, it does require um, the the a parent to actually, you know, authorize a, a new download or a new purchase of, of an app. Um, in-app purchases is disabled. So we've done everything that we can to lock this device down. So it really is only usable for the specific programs that make sense for that child. Right. And you have parental controls that you can block things. And if you want to set up a device for a child, you can delete Safari messages and mail. You can remove them from the iPhone. And this means that there's no way that they can get around even restrictions that sometimes kids can figure it out. We have an article on the Intego Mac security blog where I talk about hardening an iOS device for kids. And I talk about some of these different strategies, such as the App Store thing you mentioned, the iTunes Store. We'll, we link to an article about in-app purchases, because if your child is playing games and they offer in-app purchases, you don't want them to be able to do this. The, the, the thing that worries me most, though, is if a parent lets the kid configure Touch ID or Face ID on a device, then that means they can literally do anything. Because... I'm going to link to another article on the Intercomac security blog I wrote a few years ago saying that iOS should have multiple user accounts. So you can just switch to the kid's account. But if the kid is going to sign in with a passcode or with a fingerprint or face ID, then they can do anything because any user is an administrator. Now, you can lock down a device and say it's for a kid. That's a little more complicated with the screen time settings. But in this case, the father was just handing the kid his phone and he can't lock it down at that moment. Okay, wait, let me spend five minutes setting up screen time and turning it on. And he can't do that. So... In your case, you've got a single device, you can harden it, it's real easy. But in other cases, there are so many risks. I mean, I'm just thinking, imagine that someone forwards a text message accidentally to someone who shouldn't be seeing it, or an email, or 
you, you go to Amazon, you buy something, you don't need to enter a password in order to, to make a purchase. Now, the one area where you do have to authenticate is I have a banking app and the banking app allows me to authenticate with Face ID on my iPhone 13 Pro. On previous iPhones, it could have used Touch ID. You can turn that off, but you want to have that flexibility for your banking app. So you certainly don't want to give a kid full administrative access via Touch ID or Face ID, because again, they're just tapping around and, oh, well, I'm just going to tap around and I accidentally sent, you know, the entire contents of my bank account to someone who's listed as a potential payee. Uh, yeah, that could be a problem. Um, <clears throat> and so, okay, so I, I, I want to emphasize this point. Um, so if you think that Maybe it's going to be convenient to allow your child to to use your device. And so you allow them to add, um, you know, their thumbprint or, or a, a fingerprint to touch ID or you set up their face as the alternate face um, for logging into your device using face ID. If you do one of those things. Remember that now the device thinks that that person is you. Um, and so they can do everything that you can do with your face or your fingerprint. Um, that's really important because all of these, um, you know, your PayPal, your bank and, and all of these other apps are uh, making that assumption that it is you and only you whenever that biometric data is given, uh, you know, to to prove your identity. Um, so you have to be very, very careful if you're going to be sharing a device with somebody else, because now that person effectively acts as though they are you. The thing about kids tapping on screens is they actually find the way to get through things relatively easy because they try tapping everywhere. And I logged into PayPal earlier today and PayPal sends me two-factor authentication code, but you don't have to type that code in because on iOS, you automatically get a little display that you tap that inserts the code. So it's almost easy for a kid to log into something like PayPal. Banks are a bit more strict, but there are too many things that are easy. It just seems, why can't they have multiple user accounts? Oh, the kid wants to use the iPad. I swipe up, I switch accounts, and boom, everything is configured for the kid. Right. Yeah, this is actually something that I think a lot of people have really wanted Apple to do for a long time. Um, and I mentioned before that they kind of have done something like this for the education space, but they've still never done this for consumers. And uh, I don't know all their reasoning for it. Um, this is certainly something that I think a lot of people could benefit from. Um, I think certainly a lot of parents... Um, would use this if if you know it meant that they didn't have to get another device to carry around for their kid um, you know a lot of people just don't either don't have the money or don't really want to spend any money to buy another device um, even a used one it, it costs money it's you know it's not something that everyone can or wants to do um, and it would be so nice so nice to just like you know switch well, for so many reasons it would be practical. Imagine my partner and I are sitting in the living room and she's got her iPad and I don't have my iPhone or iPad and I want to look something up. Well, she'll hand me her, her iPad, but I'm not using my account. And if we could just swipe to go to another account, then it would be a lot more practical. But of course, Apple wants to sell devices. They don't want to sell multi-user devices other than Macs, obviously. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, perhaps one of the potential reasons why Apple might not want to um, have multiple user accounts is just the amount of space that we would take up to, to have multiple profiles, you know, multiple data sets. Um, you know, if every user of a device uh, has their own individual, um, you know, caches and things like that, um, the caches are things like, uh, for example, when you're using I don't know, whatever it is, TikTok, Instagram, I, you know, it, it caches those videos and those images, um, anything that you're viewing in the app, it temporarily downloads them and holds them into a temporary storage on your device. And so if you have, you know, Instagram on your profile and your child has Instagram on, on their profile, maybe they're 13 and they're using Instagram, um, you know, you you can you have caches now on both of those accounts that are taking up space on your device that you cannot easily clear up. Unfortunately, um, whereas you often can delete caches fairly easily in apps on Android, you, you usually can't really do that for for iOS apps. The only real way to delete that cache is to delete the entire app and then reinstall the app. Yeah, there are some apps that let you delete caches, but not very many. What I would think would be more of a problem is people shooting 4K videos. If you had multiple users on a device, it would be full really quickly. And if you don't have enough iCloud storage, then what happens to those videos? It just kind of freezes the device. Anyway, with this story, my thought is that getting an order like this should have made the Gelato company question it, right? This is a very big order. And in the end of the article, the father is quoted as saying, we thought someone would question a $1,000 order of random things and a personalized birthday cake that said happy birthday. And so he initially told his son that Santa wasn't coming this year as a result of the order, but the situation has changed. The icing on the cake, he said, and this is a quote, was when Uber Eats said, we'll give you your money back. He's back in the good books and Santa is coming again. Wow, that's you know that's a, a nice happy ending to the story, but it doesn't, of course, always end <laughs> in such a happy ending. Exactly, as we've talked about in the past, the kids have made in-app purchases for thousands of dollars. And again, I'll link to an article I wrote about in-app purchases earlier this year. I think what's happened is, in order to make it simple for users, we've made it too simple for kids tapping randomly. And the only solution is what you say is have a, a separate device for the kid. It's, it's really the best choice. Uh, um, if you can do that, absolutely do that. Um, by the way, so just to, to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit here. So if if I worked for a gelato company and I got a thousand dollar order, I would think, awesome. Somebody's like catering a party <laughs> or something, right? Like this is good for business. Um, so I, you know, it may not have sent up a, a red flag for, for anybody working there. They might've just thought, Hey, this is, this is awesome. Like <laughs> we did well today. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the iOS and iPadOS app privacy report. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. 
Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and Apple's latest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, last week's iOS and iPadOS 15.2 update brought out a feature called the App Privacy Report. Now, if you want to turn this on, go in your iOS device to Settings Privacy, scroll all the way down to App Privacy Report, and then tap Turn on App Privacy Report. You will not see information right away. When I turned this on, it took four or five days, and I turned this on when it was in beta. So I've been using this for about a month now. It took four or five days, and when it starts displaying information, it will show information from the last seven days. So it's not cumulative any longer than that. It's a pretty curious thing. And so if you look at the top of the app privacy report, now I'll link to an article on the Intego Mac security blog where you can see some screenshots. If your device is not yet giving you this information, you can see what we're talking about. The top section is data and sensor access. And this includes things like your camera, your microphone, your location, your photos, your contacts. And we even noticed the media library and something else. Now, just before we started talking, we each looked at our devices. And my device says that music accessed my media library one minute ago. I'm not playing music. I don't think the app's even running. The App Store app accessed my contacts. An app I have for a camera, so made by a third-party camera manufacturer, accessed my location and photos. It's not running. I look through this and I see a lot of apps that are accessing things. And I think what's important is that don't worry about it. If you see an app that you don't expect to be accessing your microphone or your camera, then that's important. But if it's accessing your location, your contacts, these are all things that you can set in privacy. You can tell apps not to access these things. Right. Yeah, there's definitely some some things that you might see in here, including from, you know, Apple's apps that come with the operating system um, that might be a little surprising to you and that you may not really have a good answer for. Um, for me, uh, I, I, when I um, when I opened up my device, I opened settings, I went to privacy app privacy report. Um, I, I noticed that as soon as I unlocked my device, it showed that the camera and the microphone were activated. Now that's weird because I don't have the camera app open. Um, I didn't do anything with the camera. This is actually a device that has touch ID. So it wasn't even using uh, the front facing camera or any components in there to, to identify me using face ID. Um, so this is this is kind of bizarre. I, I I don't know why I was activating the camera or the microphone just because I was logging into the device. That so so there are some things on here that are going to be a little bit puzzling. Yeah, see, I'm not seeing that at all. Neither the camera nor the microphone. The only thing that's been accessing the microphone is the phone app four hours ago because I got a phone call. I don't see anything else accessing 
Uh, yes, there's a, a guitar tuner app that accessed the microphone because I launched it yesterday and nothing else accesses the microphone, nothing else accesses the camera. I'm going to launch the camera app. And so the camera app is just launched. I'm pointing it at my Mac. And if I go back into the settings here, photos and camera are both there. Photos has accessed photos, contacts and media library and camera has accessed photos, microphone, camera, and location. Now, the camera is accessing the microphone because it's preparing to record a live photo or a video. So I would assume that when it launches, it's got to activate the microphone, even if you're not going to be recording anything. So that makes sense. Why it accesses the location is because it stores the location when you shoot anything, and it's accessing the Photos app because your photo's library. But the fact that you didn't launch your camera makes it a little bit curious. Right. And I don't have the app open in the background. Uh, I don't have photos open in the background. It's, it also says that it, uh, it accessed the, the photos app. Um, apparently, it says it accessed location, photos, microphone and camera. This, it says that the camera app accessed all of those things right at the moment that I logged into the device using Touch ID. Hmm on this particular device. Okay, so one thing about this app privacy report is we don't have answers to everything because there is a lot of data. If we go down to the next section, app network activity, that's interesting because this is activity that is, this is apps that have contacted different domains. This is not web browsers, but this is third-party apps. So I use the Washington Post app to read the news and it's contacted different domains 75 times. If I tap this, I see all the domains it's contacted. And this is what's interesting. Let me point out that I use an ad and tracker blocker. So these numbers are actually very low compared to someone who doesn't. It's contacting someone WPDigital.net, that's probably Washington Post. It's contacting Amazon. It's contacting WashingtonPost.com. It's contacting something called inappcheck.itunes.apple.com. And I see this with every app. And I assume this is something that contacts the app store to make sure that I'm allowed to use the app. Yeah. Uh, the kinds of things that I see in mine are mostly um, this particular device is one that I use for testing. So it's it's not one that uh, is, is my main device. Otherwise, I would probably be seeing a lot of other things in here, too. Um, but for me, the top... Uh, four things are all related to iCloud, um, something in iCloud.com, iCloud-content.com, or Apple.com. Uh, and then the fifth item down is interesting, ocsp.pki.goog. Now, G-O-O-G, I didn't even know that was a top-level domain, but apparently this is owned by Google. If I go to pki.goog in a web browser, it actually takes me to a web page that talks about Google Trust Services. So this OCSP um, stands for Online Certificate Stapling Protocol, and it, it has to do with SSL certificates and things like that. And PKI stands for Public Key Infrastructure. So since we're familiar with these abbreviations, we kind of understand what they mean. Yeah. Yeah, we, we know what's going on. Basically, it's checking an SSL certificate in the background. Um, so that's normal and natural. But any normal, average, everyday person just looking at, you know, what the heck is ocsp.pki.goog? I have no idea. Obviously, it's probably something Google related, but I don't know beyond that. Um, so there, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about this app privacy report is that there's 
a ton of stuff in here that is going to be very eye-opening, but there's also going to be a ton of stuff in here that's very confusing. Even if you're a very technical person who has a pretty good understanding of a lot of, you know, uh, internet technologies and so forth, there's still going to be stuff in here that's going to have you scratching your head. Okay, so I've got one for the New York Times. NewYorkTimes.com has 2,178 connections. And the top one at 1,392 is mask.icloud.com. That sounds suspicious, doesn't it? Until I see that apps that contacted this domain were Apple News. So could this be that Apple News is masking the URL of a news website in order to translate it, in order to display it in Apple News? And when I look at websites that contacted this domain, there's a few dozen websites that, well, that I've looked at in Apple News, but there are some that I haven't, like dpd.com. DPD is a courier service here in the UK that's very common for delivery. I would never look at the DPD website in Apple News. So that's curious. Doing a quick web search for mask.icloud.com, it looks like that's actually related to the iCloud private relay beta. That's that's one of the domains that they're using for the their private relay service. That's interesting, but I have iCloud private relay turned off because I had problems loading some websites with it. Oh, that that really is interesting then. So wait, is it is it still using private some components of private relay then in the background or what's going on? It's very possible that something like that is going on. Because you did have it enabled at one point, but it's not enabled I did anymore. initially, but then I had problems with some websites that wouldn't load, so I had to turn it off. So one of the more interesting things that you can look at is if you find any connection to Facebook. And if you don't have a tracker blocker, you'll find all of the different trackers and things that Facebook contacts. But you'll also find the number of websites that call the connect.facebook.net domain. I've got a screenshot in my article. What you see is websites that are using a Facebook sharing button or a like button. So every time you have one of those buttons on a website, and we'll admit it, we have one on the Intego Max Security blog, it will be contacting Facebook to check and see if you're logged into Facebook. So you can share something to Facebook relatively easily. You'll definitely see a lot of trackers um, in here, uh, especially if you're looking in, in that section, the most contacted domains section, you're going to see an awful lot of things. Um, first of all, again, there's going to be a lot of Apple related stuff. Um, uh, the the more third party apps that you're using, the more variety and and quantity of uh, tracker hits you'll you'll see in here. You'll also see things like Crashlytics, which is um, uh, trying to keep track of uh, crash-related events uh, that are going on in apps, uh, among other things. Um, there's a lot of like analytics kind of related things where companies are trying to find out like how you're using their apps and they're reporting back to those companies about your usage of those apps. Sometimes you can opt out of these things in the app settings, sometimes not. So that's another thing uh, that's worth um, knowing. Yet I have a tracker blocker. And I see a lot of trackers getting contacted. So I kind of think my tracker blocker is not efficient or the apps, can they get around the tracker blocker somehow? That shouldn't be possible, should it? Um, it it's it's possible that they might be getting around it or, or that those particular domains maybe are whitelisted for some reason. Um, it gets very complicated when it comes to like blanket blacklisting domains, because very often there are domains that while they are used for tracking purposes, they're also used for other purposes as well. 
for example, uh, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know there's um, a domain that's owned by Google that looks very much like it's a, a tracking domain and not used for any other purpose. But if you block that, then it will also prevent you from using a lot of um, everyday Google services that everybody uses. You just can't use them at all. There's there's a limit to what you can do. So the, the, the reason we've gone through all of this and made it sound really complicated is because it is. I'm not convinced that this app tracking information is really that useful because even if people like us who understand what's going on can't really figure out why it's working the way it is, uh, probably the most useful section is th the top data and sensor access. But if you're seeing your camera activate every time you open up your iPhone and I'm not, I'd worry more if it was a third-party app that's not supposed to access the camera. But I'm pretty sure that iOS is locked down enough that they can't do that. They have to have an authorization. The first time an app wants to use a, a camera, you have to say, okay, you might accidentally tap okay uh, and forget about it. And they will be using the camera later, but it is something that is blocked in iOS fairly well. But basically uh, the takeaway for me is that there is just so much stuff going on and we are tracked so much and our privacy is just so eaten away on all the edges by all these different things that are monitoring us and surveying us. And what can you do? Well, I, I, I do think that the, the one place where this, I think, is really useful is that um, it can it can be enlightening to see what some of your third party apps are doing. I wouldn't worry too much about. Uh, the Apple apps and what they're accessing in terms of, um, you know, the, the data and sensor access section uh, of this app privacy report. But do look closely at your third party apps because there may be some things going on with third party apps that you don't expect. And it could be a good opportunity, especially if it's a smaller developer. Um, it might be a good opportunity to, you know, reach out to them and ask, hey, how come this seems to be accessing my camera? Um, why is this accessing my photos? Because if you don't expect that, if the app doesn't uh, directly have anything to do with those things, um, it might be worth asking. And of course, a bigger company like Facebook is just not going to respond to you. <laughs> but uh, but at least it, it'll give you some insight into what some of your third-party apps are, are doing on your device. Okay, we'll have a link to my article on the Intego Mac security blog in the show notes. Just one point, this isn't available on macOS yet. I don't know if Apple's planning to release a macOS version. Obviously, macOS is different because you can have third-party apps that don't come through the App Store, so they might be able to get around it. It's coming up on that magical holiday, Josh, and I have to wish you happy holidays, and I will see you again next week. Until then, stay secure. All right. Happy holidays and stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.